0: I think uh, some, some month ago I mentioned uh, that there's a key verse for the book of Hebrews, and I promise we'll memorize it together. Does anybody remember what that verse was? Just a reference for now. Yeah, good, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And I said I would give opportunities for anybody who wanted to stand up and uh, recite the verse and showed us they've been working on it, I would, I would give such an opportunity so, uh, anybody memorize the verse and feels comfortable in reciting it to the saints? Right, and then I had the threat, of course, if you don't do that, I'd make you all memorize it together. Uh, Look, can you bring up the verse? Can you get uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 up? And uh, we'll just read it together, because really the key for memorization is to just read the verse again and again and again and again. So, all together now. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a crowd of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Excellent. That's the key verse for the book. And we'll be looking, doing some looking to Jesus today, and of course more as we go through the book of Hebrews. Now I was uh, approached by somebody this morning whose name shall remain a mystery, asking me whether I was, uh, I think, still in chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews. So I felt I should give just a quick update of where we are. We're not in chapter 4. We are in chapter 5. And in fact, we'll move into chapter 6. But uh, just in way of a very brief review, uh, we had an introduction in Hebrews uh, 1 of the uh, greatness of the, uh, of the person of Jesus, right? And we'll look at the very beginning of it again later today. And then we had, uh, in chapter 2, he talked about the salvation that Jesus uh, has, has uh, made available for us. And then in chapter 3, he takes a little bit of a detour. Actually, at the end of chapter 2, he introduces what become, will become the main theme of the book, which is really the high priesthood of the Lord Jesus, the fact that Jesus is our high priest. But he takes a quick uh, break in that, uh, in that uh, process, in that... Uh, you know, before he really launches into it, and he um, talks about the danger of the Hebrews, just as Israel failed to enter the promised land that God made available for them, remember, and therefore they got sent back into the wilderness for 40 years, there was a risk that the Hebrews were going to miss God's invitation to enter into the promise, the good of what Jesus did for them, and so he just gives them a warning, really, for a couple of chapters. He uses, uses the example of what happened to the children of Israel, making sure we don't repeat the same mistake that they did. And then in chapter 5, he launches again into the high priesthood of the Lord Jesus. And he mentions, and uh, we could start there. I, I think I, I didn't, I didn't uh, put that first down. But uh, Hebrews uh, 5.10, we can kind of pick up there. Look, if you'd put that up for us, I know I didn't have it in my notes. You know, Luke is doing this on the fly for us, and I appreciate it. It says, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And in chapter 5, he pointed out that the priesthood of the Lord Jesus was different from the priesthood of the previous priests in, in the Jewish nation. They were all the descendants of Aaron. They were called according to the order of Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest, and all the other high priests were the descendants of Aaron. Uh, But Jesus is a different high priest. He's called according to the order of Melchizedek, right, which might not mean a whole lot to us, and he's about to explain the significance of being a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, Uh, but uh, before he does it, he's going to take another detour, right? And today we're going to enter another detour in his progress of of revealing the Lord Jesus as our high priest, and... uh, that detour starts in verse 11. So Hebrews 5, 11, he says, of whom we have much to say, right, he has much to say about Melchizedek and how to explain. You know, why is it so hard to explain why why, uh, Jesus, uh, the significance of Melchizedek in Jesus' priesthood, why, because since you have become become dull of hearing, all right, that's the problem. Uh, there's a dullness in the hearing, being the hard of hearing. And let's go ahead and finish to the end of chapter 5 now. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food, for everyone who, pra- who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe." But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, uh, he, he will go into the subject uh, of, of spiritual maturity or potential spiritual immaturity, really the problem of the Hebrews that they were having what we might call um, a developmental disorder. I don't know what's the best word for it. They weren't developing properly. I'm a father of four children. Most of you know that. And uh, one of the things you, you run into with your children is sometimes they get sick, right? I have uh, one son who was, who was out of commission today, which is why I wasn't here earlier today. Uh, but uh, when we uh, had our first child, when our first child was still in the womb, we were told that our first child was going to have some serious problem, that we're going to, to uh, limit the development of this child. Right? She wasn't going to grow up to be a normal child. That's what the doctors thought. Praise the Lord, they were wrong. But uh, the concern of that, and, and I have a picture to go with that, what, what really bothers a parent when uh, they hear that their child would have a de- developmental uh, disorder is they realize their child won't develop as normal children do. Right? You, you want to have a child that's happy and can play and swing and jump and learn and grow. And uh, when you have a child that has, say, downs or some other disorder, you realize they will never achieve that potential. Now, th- th- they may you know, still mature and grow up to some level, but they won't reach the full potential of what you as a parent have in mind for them. And that's what saddens your heart as a parent when you have a child like that. Now, God meets the needs and and blesses people with children like that, but at that particular time, that was my great concern. My child wasn't going to develop and reach her or his full potential. And that's the concern that the author of the Hebrews has. As he sees in them signs of what you might call a, a developmental disorder, they're not developing, they're not maturing as Christians ought to, that's his heart, they're going to miss out, and losing the potential of what God really has for them. So today, we will look at at three, uh, if you would, problems or or negatives of having a spiritual developmental disorder. That's why we don't want to be to fail to grow as believers, right? Because there's, there's negative impact. So really, there's areas in which we will fail to reach our full potential. So we'll look at three of those, and then, as the Lord wills, we'll look at perhaps three keys for, for developing spiritually, right, and reaching our full potential. Okay, so there'll be three and three if you're a person who keeps notes, and I miss one of those, you can come back and ask me later, and I'll fill you in. Okay, the first problem here is is being dull of hearing, right? Not hearing well. Right? I remember people uh, were concerned with me. I I had hearing problems and the hearing problems were there because there was a real problem in my ear. I, I had a growth growing inside of my middle ear and it was consuming my middle ear bones. And that's why I couldn't hear well. So there's a sign of a problem when you're not hearing well. The Hebrews were not hearing well. What are we talking about? We're talking about hearing well the word of God, right? The, the author is going, he's going to explain to them about the priesthood of the Lord Jesus and is hindered by the fact they're dull of hearing. They cannot hear well. It's hard for them to understand what God is saying. And uh, why, uh, what's, what's God's idea for us? What's God's goal? Why is this falling f- short of God's potential? Well, in John 15, Jesus tells the disciples this, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. God reveals to us the truth that he revealed to the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is making known to us. He made known to his disciples everything God told him. It was a sign of friendship. If I told you, you know, uh, would you please... uh, Get in the car, we're gonna go. Right? You know, you might say, why? Just get in the car, we're gonna go. Right? I'm not treating you as a friend. (laughs) If I tell you, you know, get in the car, you know, we're gonna go to Disneyland together. And there we're gonna take this ride and that, we're gonna have a great time. You'll get in the car, right? (laughs) I'm treating you as a friend, right? You know, the Lord Jesus is giving us instructions in the Bible, but He's treating us as a friend. He's telling us why. We should do it. And all the blessings that will follow from it. Right? And so we don't want to miss that. right? We don't want to be hard of hearing. We don't want to miss out on what the word of God tells us. right? We want to know. If God spent the time, I think Howard you mentioned your prayer, to write this love letter which is the Bible and in it it reveals to us all the mysteries of God, all the blessings that God has for us. We want to get it. Right? We don't want to miss what God has in place for us. So that's That's number one, right? The negative effect of of spiritual immaturity. We're missing on what God has to say for us. We don't want to miss that. Uh, Side effect number two, he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. So God has a certain plan for us, and we can see that plan really quick in Matthew chapter 28. For those of you who have been going to the evangelism class, I think Grant referred to this very same passage. And he said, it says there, um, And Jesus came and spoke to them. So this is the Great Commission, well-known passage. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, And of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So, this is Jesus and his plan for the ages. What is Jesus' plan for the ages? Is that everybody will become his disciple, right? He wants everybody to become his student. He wants everybody to learn of him and obey him and do the things that he says to do. And, you know, along the way, give him a place in heaven. Right? Well, what was Jesus' plan? How was he going to accomplish it? Well, he chooses 12 people. He disciples them. He spends three years with them, teaching them everything they need to know and, and, and what it is that they need to do. And now he says, okay, I want you guys to go and do the same. Right? So they need to find people. What are they supposed to do with someone they find? You know, share John 3.16 with them and move on. No, teach them all things that I commanded you. Exactly the same thing Jesus did to them, they're supposed to do to the next person. Right? Which means, if you are one of their disciples, what's your job? Your job is to find other people to train as disciples. Right? There is absolutely no way those 12 people could have discipled the whole world. Right? The only way they could is by the principle of multiplication or exponential growth. Right? If, if Jesus teaches 12, and each of those teaches 12, right, now you have 144. If each of those teaches 12, you know, now you're in the thousand. Each of those teaches 12, now you're in the tens of thousands. Each of those teaches 12, hundreds of thousands, millions, tens of Within about eight generations of discipleship, you would have reached the whole world. Right, That is the only way the world can be reached for Christ. Now, our privilege or the gift if we will grow uh, spiritually is we get to be part of the process. Jesus wants you and I to be part of it, part of reaching the world. We are to be part of making disciples. It's a great privilege, right? We are part of God's plan for the ages. But if we don't grow maturely, if we don't mature, if we're not maturing spiritually, we cannot be part of that. So third side effect of not growing spiritually, he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracle of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Well, the, the third side effect of not growing is you're stuck on the milk-only diet. And what is the milk-only diet? Well, in this illustration, he's talking about teachers, Right? So, how does the process work when a new child comes into the world, you know, you don't serve it steaks, you know, and, uh, you know, mousse, and, and all those good things, he has to start with drinking his mother's milk, right? Similarly, when a person comes to know God, it's, it's generally through the ministry of teachers. There's really exceptional cases where someone just picks up a Bible and starts reading it and gets saved, right? That's one in a million. Generally, it's by teachers, right? Someone is teaching them, right? And as they come to know the Lord, you know, that's, at the beginning, that's the main diet. I remember when I was first saved and I came to church, it seemed like every sermon preached was designed exactly for me, right? Because that's how God was feeding me at the time. It was through people preaching, sermons or teaching or Bible studies, right? I needed others to help me understand the Word of God. But the goal is that with time, you move on from uh, the milk diet and you start enjoying other foods. Uh, now, it can be difficult and I have uh, an illustration. This is, uh, if, uh, if, if our system can bring it up, this is my son, Joey, was now seven. At the time, he would have been about three months old. We were just going to start with solids. Right? And, you know, it's a difficult process, right? You know, up to that point, uh, up to that point, you know, everything was, you know, really easy to digest, right? Somebody prepared it for you. And all of a sudden, you know, you get something in your mouth that doesn't quite feel the same. And, you know, it, be- it becomes a little bit more difficult, right? And at first you may not like it. I had a friend in Berkeley who uh, told me, you know, as he became became a new believer, started reading the Bible, came to First John, and he was so scared by what he read at 1 John, he stopped reading the Bible. Right? He said, I'm just gonna go back to, you know, reading commentaries or, you know, listen to my, my pastor preach because they made it easy to understand. Uh, what's the problem with that? Well, the problem with that is you don't get to enjoy everything that God has in mind for you. What would be the problem if you stayed you know, on your mother's milk diet, you know, for the rest of your life, you'd miss out on all the other foods that are in this world, right? I don't know anybody who really went back, right, after they learned to eat solid food. They didn't want to go back to their mother's milk. There were so many other good things for them to have. And uh, the Word of God contains a lot more than I can ever give you, right? I only understand some of the Word of God, and I only get, or other teachers here, I'm not the only teacher here, uh, you know, will speak, you know, one hour a week. And if your diet depended upon that, you would never get everything in the Word of God. You only get some of it. And only the sum of it that I understood. And only that of which I understood, which I could, you know, express in an hour. <laughs> right? You wouldn't get everything that God has for you. God has so much more in His Word then teachers are able to give to you. The only way you will, you will get it is if you go to the Word of God yourself. Right? Okay, so those are the three, if you would, negatives of, of not maturing spiritually. Number one, you know, you miss out on what God says in His Word. Number uh, two, you miss out on being part of God's plan for the ages of, of, of making disciples. Number three, are You miss out on enjoying everything God has in his word for you, right? Because you're limiting yourself to just teachers instead of going direct. All right, what are the three keys for spiritual growth, as, as we can get out of this passage? There's, there's others, of course, We're not limited here to this passage, but in this passage, the first one, he says here, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who, by reason of age, of use, have the senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So I showed you a movie of Joey when he was three months old. Let me show you one of his more recently. This is Joey. So Joey's, uh, one of his favorite games, for certain, his favorite game for the last 12 months was uh, Tetherball. And, uh, you know, he got to school and he saw people playing tetherball and he was, wow, I really like this game. I really want to be good at this game. And so, you know, he starts, you know, playing and he's not very good. So, you know, he, what does he do? Well, he plays more. He keeps practicing and practicing. And you need to get your timing just right to do this. This is not easy. Let me tell you. Many, many hours of practice <laughs> to get to that level. Well, you know, if we want to be good in the Word of God, there is no substitute to practice, right? And uh, that's why he says, it's by reason of practice. Solid food belongs to those of a full age who by who reason of use, right? I mean, you have, you're not going to get good at the Word of God by reading books about the Word of God, right? I mean, you'll have to go to it direct. And, uh, you know, it's not enough to just read the Word of God, right? You have to use it. Right, the Word of God wasn't meant for us to read as a novel and enjoy. Say, boy, this is a wonderful story, you know. Uh, it's it's use. Uh, I I think I, I reminded Sam not too long ago. He once came to me and asked me how to say Psalm 119, 105 in Hebrew. Remember that? Well, you don't have to say it in Hebrew. Do you remember it in English? Right, very good. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It means I'm not supposed to just read the Bible. I'm supposed to use it, right? It's supposed to be a light to my feet and a lamp to my path, right? This is how I know what to do in my life. I use the word of God, and it shows me the way, right? And uh, I, I like uh, memorizing the word of God. There's lots of ways to go after the word of God, but uh, memorizing is one of my favorite because the only way you memorize it is by saying it again and again, and again, and again. And then it really goes in, and you really start understanding what it's saying to you. And the other day I was reciting, as I was coming home, uh, the verse in Colossians, uh, I think it's Colossians 3, where it says, Husbands, love your wives, and do not be bitter toward them. All right. Well, you know, that's a very clear direction from the Lord. (laughs) You know, and I had that in mind as I was going home. And it was a good thing because my wife had a rough day that day. And, you know, it needed a lot of love. And uh, so, so we use the Word of God. When the Word of God says something, we try to follow it. Right? We try to apply it to our lives. That is the only way to, to, to grow in the Word of God, to mature uh, through the Word of God. Now, we want to be careful again. It's not, the goal isn't a greater knowledge of the Word of God in and of itself, like intellectual knowledge. Uh, the goal is the impact on our life. It was called here... The word of righteousness, right? For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. The Bible is the word of righteousness. It should have an impact on me. It should make me righteous, right? What's our goal as believers? Why are we called Christians? Because we are to be like Christ, right? That was the 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 name Christian was actually invented by other people, not by Christians. Calling, applying it to Christians they're like little Christs they want to be just like him well that's good right we do want to be just like him right and, and that's really how you can tell how spiritually mature someone is it's actually not how many verses in the Bible you have memorized and uh, you know, how good you are in explaining what a passage means it's really how much you've become like, like Christ yourself I mean that is the measuring stick right of spiritual maturity have we become like him, are we becoming like him? So that's the purpose, that's the goal. As, and that's why it's so important to not just read the word of God, but apply it to our lives, because we want to become more like him. More like Him. So that's key number one, practice. You want to grow spiritually? You have to practice the word of God. Apply it to your life. Key number two, I call it, have all your bases covered, and that brings us into chapter six. We finished chapter five, we're into chapter six now. Chapter 6 says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits. So I said the second key for spiritual growth is having your bases covered. Now just to understand what what the author is saying here he is saying leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, he doesn't, what he's telling us here, I don't want to spend the book of Hebrews going back over ground we already covered, right? That's what he's saying. We've already covered this. I don't want to talk about it anymore. But in saying it, he gives us a list of items he talked about, right? So we do want to make sure we do have those bases covered before we go on, right? And he'll go on next. So what are the bases? of the Christian life, the Christian faith? Well, the first one we have is, it said, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Uh, if uh, you were to go out and ask people, you know, do you, uh, you, know, do you believe that you're going to heaven? If you, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? And most people will probably say yes. Now today, you know, I think there's so many people who, who have rejected God. Some will say, well, I don't believe there really is a heaven. But if there is a heaven, do you think you'll go there? And most people will say yes. And uh, you'll ask them why. And then they'll tell you some good thing they have done. Well, you know, I'm, I've, I've tried to be a good person. Or I've gone to church, you know, all of my life. Uh, or I've walked an old lady across the street, right? So I, I should go to heaven. And, but what this passage says... Is that we should repent of dead works. That's 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 the first item here. I, I had a picture here. I don't know if that will help us. If any of you remembers the story of uh, of Cain and Abel, and uh, you, we have Cain there. Let's see. For you, it's going to be on your right hand side. And uh, God, uh, both of them came and presented their gifts to God. And uh, Cain brought his vegetables. Uh, to God and, uh, and uh, Abel by putting it the right way brought a lamb, a sacrifice to God and it says that uh, Cain was rejected but Abel was accepted and we often look at the passage and wonder why. why well the reason is God has already made another way and he showed it to Adam and Eve when after they sinned he killed animals And he put the skin of the animal on Adam and Eve, and that was to replace the fig leaves. If you remember, Adam and Eve sinned against God, and they realized they separated from God, they're hiding in a bush, and uh, God comes out, and then they cover themselves with fig leaves, and then God gives them the animal skins to show, look, the fig leaves are not going to do the job, you need something else to cover you properly, if you have to be right with me. And the animal skins really become the symbol of what God will do, right? the picture of death. The wages of sin is death. The only way you can be right with me again is if the penalty for your sin gets paid in the death of, and it should be them, they should, be die, they should die, but God provides a substitute. He provides a lamb for them, right? Or an animal died in their place. And uh, when Abel is bringing the animal, he is believing God. He is believing the way God has made. And he brings an animal, a dead animal, he, he kills an animal. Right? This is what you ask God. This is, this is the way you make. Right? And uh, so he believes in God. Whereas Abel is like, you know, killing an animal, boy, that's, you know, that's really gruesome. I shouldn't need something like that to make me right with God. Hey, God, look at all these wonderful vegetables I grew in my garden. Right? He was offering God the fruit of His hand, and that's the equivalent of good works. You know here's all the good things I did, God. I went to church, I did this. Would you accept me based on what you have done? And God rejects that because it is not the way He has made. And he denies I'm sorry, it denies the seriousness of sin. Your sin is so bad that the only way it can ever be forgiven is by death. the soul that sins shall die. And Christ has sorry <laughs> God has provided for us that perfect solution in Christ, right? The animals weren't really enough. They were just a picture. It's Christ who died for our sins, was buried, and rose from the dead. And that's how God provided. And when we put our faith in Christ, we're accepting God's provision for our sins. We're believing God's promise to save us, right? Instead of saying, you know, God, our sin is not that bad. We don't really need Jesus. Here's our good works instead, Right? And that's why it's necessary to repent of dead works and to believe in God. right I mean that's really the first step of salvation. So that's, that's getting, getting our, our, our basis covered. Now he has some additional doctrines here, and the way I read it is the first two are really are the foundation. You have to come to the point where you realize you deserve to die because of your sins. your good works will never meet God's requirement but God has provided the Lord Jesus for you, and and you put your faith in that. You believe God. You trust God in what God has done to save you. And that's how you get saved. And now the rest here are what I would consider critical doctrines. They're not maybe foundational, but they're things that are absolutely essential for the Christian life. The first one he mentioned is baptisms. And we note that he uses a plural form, right? of the doctrine of baptism, so we have to cover at least two. There's more than two in the Bible, but we'll cover the, the two uh, most critical ones. The first one is God wants us to make a public profession of our faith. If I have come to the point where I realize my good works cannot save me, but what Christ did on the cross, that saved me, and I'm putting my faith in him to save me, God wants me to tell the world. Right? And I do it in the form of baptism. Right? So when I... When I get baptized, it's just a way of, of, of really telling the world, I've come, I've put my faith in Jesus. Right? I mean, that's, that's essentially what baptism is it's obeying Jesus' command, making a public declaration of your faith to the world. You have to do that if you want to be obedient to Christ and grow. You cannot grow as a believer without being baptized. The second one uh, is uh, referred to as baptism, is really the Holy Spirit or the giving of the Holy Spirit. John. Uh, The Baptist came first, and he was baptizing people with water. And from the beginning, he told them, I indeed baptize you with water, but the one who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus refers to that same promise in the book of Acts, before the Holy Spirit comes and says, wait here for this promise, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit that I promise you. And every believer receives the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is critical for us to live the Christian life. So we need to understand God gives us the Holy Spirit. I I don't do things by my own power, but God has given me the power to live for him through the Holy Spirit. Right, so that's that's a critical doctrine uh, to understand. The next one is gonna be a little bit more difficult for us. It says, of laying on of hands. So what is the doctrine of laying on of hands, and why is it so critical? So this is how I understand it, and you can come to me later if you have a different understanding. But uh, in the the book of Acts, you'll find the apostles laying hands. Actually, the first person who was really doing it is the Lord Jesus. He was laying hands on people to heal them, right? It was a way of showing that Jesus was healing them, right? If people were just being healed when Jesus was around... You know, you kind of wonder, was it really Jesus? But when Jesus lays his hand on a, on a leper, and the leprosy disappears, who did it? It was Jesus, right? It's kind of a way of showing who it came from. And the same thing that we see the apostles doing in the book of Acts, they lay hands on people to heal them. They also lay hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit, and sometimes other spiritual gifts. And they lay hands on, uh, on when they, they assign a responsibility to someone, like the deacons. They lay their hands on them. Um, so why? I believe it was to show the authority of the apostles. God had had them laying hands on people, and through that, things happen to show that these are the people you need to listen to. You have to remember that at that time, the Bible was not yet written. Well, the New Testament was not yet completed. Where was the New Testament? It was a bunch of people walking around. How do you know which people to listen to? Well, they were laying hands on people, and they were getting healed or receiving the Holy Spirit, right? So, you know, these are the people to trust it. So I would say the equivalent for us today would really be to trust the word of God, right? Or the Bible, we get the picture, <laughs> right? It, this, is, this is critical for the Christian life. I remember uh, Rick Bellis telling this to me as he was uh, uh, discipling me. He says, you know what, you're gonna live and die by that book, right? I mean, that's, as a believer, that's the key. If you, if you don't trust that book, Or if you think there's other things that that, are, you know, as important as this book, you're not going to achieve your Christian potential, right? I mean, you have to recognize that's the word of God, or you're not going to be able to grow spiritually, right? That's the source, right? If you you don't take the source, the word of God, you can't really grow as a believer. All right, Uh, number five or number four as as to these uh, critical doctrines. It says resurrection of resurrection of the dead. Well, I have a picture there. You know, if we believe that was the end of our life, there wouldn't be much reason to live the Christian life. Right? We're living for what comes after the grave. Right? That's, that's what the Christian life is lived for. If, if we were just trying to focus on this world, you know, we, we would have a very shallow, if any, form of Christianity. Right? Christianity is lived for what happens after you die. I'm living now for the future. Uh, next and last of this list is an eternal judgment. Right? We believe that there is a judgment. You know, God will judge people for their sins. We even believe that God will judge us not for punishment but for rewards. Right? God cares about what happens in this life and there is a judgment to come based on how we live our life uh, today. So, so those are, that's covering the basis. Right. If you got this covered, we can move on. So moving on, uh, he says this. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. And this is the third key in uh, in this passage of of maturing or growing spiritually. Is to go on. You don't want to just stay with the basic principles. You want to go on, and It seems to me, in context, he says, not uh, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let's go on to perfection. He's talking about the perfection of the knowledge of Christ. Right? We need to advance in our knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is and appreciation of who he is. And I think we can support that view by just looking at the epistle. If you were to ask, what is the epistle of the book of Hebrews about? It's really to reveal the greatness of Christ. And we can see from how it starts. I suggested that at the beginning, we can turn there now. If we were to look at Hebrews, the very beginning of the epistle, chapter 1. Tell me whether you think this is designed to reveal the glory of Christ. Okay, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Is it glorifying the Lord Jesus? <laughs> it is. Right? And the book continues with this theme. Right? Appreciating who Jesus is. And uh, it's not just the goal of the book of Hebrews to glorify Christ. Right? It's really the, gl- the purpose of, of all scripture to reveal who Jesus is. And uh, just one way of seeing that is John 16 Jesus is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit here. And he explains the purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So this is Jesus on the uh, night before his crucifixion. He just has a few hours left with his disciples, if that. And he knows there's still many things they need to understand. And they're not going to be able to take it all in right then and there. And so he moves on to talking about the Holy Spirit. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Right? The Holy Spirit is the one who guides us into the truth of God, and he does it using the Scriptures. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. And listen to this. He will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Right? So, the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Scripture, is really to glorify Christ, to show us how great Christ is. Why is that so critical for our spiritual maturity? I have just... Two final thoughts to go along with that. Why do we need to appreciate Christ to grow spiritually? Colossians 2, 8 through 10 tells us, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. And the word I want to focus on here at the end is you are complete in him. It's kind of an unusual language. What do you mean you are complete in him? If I was to say, uh, talk to you about my better half, who am I talking about? I'm sorry? Yeah, my wife, right? You understand? She's my better half. Well, you understand the fact that I'm married to her, right? And when we got married, we became one, right? And that's what the Bible says. Therefore, a, father, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's a, it's a bond that should never be broken. Now, we know in this world, unhappily, that people are not following that law, but, but in God's mind, marriage should never be broken. And... Uh, And in Christ, we have the fulfillment of that, right? We are united to him. That's what it says here. You are complete in him. It talks about the fact that me and Jesus become one, right? Just like me and my wife became one. And uh, so, okay, well, me and Jesus is one. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, that depends on who Jesus is, right? Right? And that's why this becomes uh, has such a critical impact on us how we perceive Christ, right? Uh, if you know Christ is uh, you know just an okay kind of guy, well, it makes me maybe okay about the relationship. But uh, if Christ is the God of the universe, right, and He loves me and uh, has prepared every blessing in the heavenly places for me, then the fact I'm united to Him should bring me great joy, right? and uh, that's, that's God's desire for us when Jesus says I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly it happens through an appreciation of Christ right because in this world you know sometimes good things happen to me and sometimes not so good things happen to me right and the same to all of us the only thing that keeps us going is that union over there right sorry for you it's over there <laughs> right it's the fact I'm united to Christ and who he is that should carry me through trials and allow me to, to still have joy in my heart even when you know, not so good things happen to me. And that's the, uh, the benefit, if you would, the final benefit of, of Christian maturity, a mature view of Christ an appreciation of who Christ is. You know, we want to grow in it. If we want to grow spiritually, we need to grow in our understanding of the Lord so we can appreciate more and more, the relationship we have with Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your concern of our spiritual maturity, and your <coughs> your desires for us to grow, and to enjoy that full potential you have for us of being children of God, and enjoying all these things we will, we've been discussing. Lord, we pray uh, for each one of us that you might help us grow, and if there's somebody here who is not yet saved, who hasn't yet had his bases covered, so to speak, we pray that uh, you, you bring them even to an understanding of that and to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.